Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau. Today I'm joined by Chronicles sports writer Rusty Simmons, who has been a big help to me on the Warriors beat. During our conversation, we fielded readers pressing questions, including one about Kelly Oubre's future. Rusty, thank you so much for joining me back on the pod. You know, even even during a pandemic, it felt like I was seeing you pretty often over Zoom and, and hearing your voice because you were such a, a huge help on the Warriors beat this past season. Um, but I haven't I haven't seen you or heard from you in a little bit because I know you you took a little time off. I was knee deep with a big minor league baseball series, um, but you're you're back at it. And I know you're going to be the go to guy for Team USA coverage of the Chronicle. You're you're on that on a daily basis with the dream on green beat and the Steve Kerr beat. Um, what, a you know, we actually didn't get really any team USA questions. We're doing a mailbag podcast this week. Got a bunch of great questions, but we didn't get any about team USA. And I, I'm actually genuinely curious. Like, what do you think Draymond's role is going to be on this team USA team? He didn't play a lot in Rio. Is it going to be kind of a similar situation? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, Coach Popovich on the first day, uh, Tuesday, talked about three centers, uh, Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo, and Kevin Love. So that's kind of the way they're going into it. Um, all power forwards in the NBA, but centers in international hoop. And uh, it was the first day, so he's trying to figure it out. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all that because of Draymond's voice and defensive ability, if he's not the starting center for Team USA. Um, but I also wouldn't be shocked if he plays seven minutes a game and provides that voice from the sideline while Kevin Love and Bam Adebayo are playing all the minutes. Um, neither one would shock me one day into it. Uh, I'm not even sure Pop knows yet. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I think that that's definitely where he's going to be the biggest asset is as a small ball center in, in given how the teams they face play. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so maybe it sounds like maybe he will play a little bit more than he did in Rio. Um, you know, I think, I think he's proven this past year that he's still a high level player and, and can help out. Um, I think he's just one of those guys where a lot of it depends on the makeup of the roster, what you need. You know, he's not like one of those guys that you have to have on the floor when you're talking about an all-star laden roster, you know? Um, but if you need, the facilitating and the defensive toughness and, and those types of things, obviously he's better than anyone. So, um, and they don't have like a legitimate center. So it'll be interesting to see, like if they do play against Jokic or Rudy Gobert, I think of, I think of Bam as a center, but yeah, I yeah, guess you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably more before and yeah. but so they could go into it that way where it's not even what they want. It's matchup based. So if if Bam's a more prototypical legitimate center, maybe he starts against the Go Bears and Jokic's of the world, and Draymond starts against somebody else. Or Kevin Love, Popovich praised Kevin Love like he was completely in shape and back to being in his prime form yesterday. So who knows? I like I like forgot about Kevin Love, and uh, and then I saw your story today about you know maybe the Warriors can sign him on a vet minimum deal, which is doing numbers by the way so i think there's a lot of interest there we actually got a question about that so we'll get into that in a little bit later but um bunch of good questions this week uh hit hit a wide range of topics we actually have one or two 
minor league baseball questions. I uh, never thought we'd be talking about that on Warriors off court, but I, I did dip my ho- my toe into minor league baseball and did a big three-part series. So I, I don't mind uh, talking a little San Jose Giants, San Francisco Giants. Um, but our first question. Congratulations. Congratulations, by the way, on that. That, that series, everybody should. I'm sure they have read it already, but go back. Like it's, it's sit down worth, worth a coffee and a meal while you're reading it. It's great stuff. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Um, this is from at Tab- Tabiora. Is Kelly Oubre really important to the Warriors? Is it a risk to lose him and find someone else? How does Kelly Oubre fit in the Warriors plans coming into the next season? This is a this is a pertinent question. I mean, it's we've we've got. I feel like we when every time we do a mailbag, we get at least one or two Ubre questions because his the his future with the Warriors is so murky. But I think this is really pertinent right now because Kelly came out a couple of days ago and talked with Chris Haynes um, on a podcast about his future with the Warriors, and then um, my my good friend who's been on this podcast many times, Wes Goldberg, had a story today where he talked to the agent and. From what we heard from Ubre in that podcast with Chris Haynes and what we heard from his agent through Wes Goldberg, very different narratives. Very different narratives. Ubre just kind of reading between the lines, listening to the cadence in his voice, listening to uh, how he addressed certain questions, how he talked about last season. It's hard to imagine a world where he comes back. Um, he called it unfair that he uh was demoted to a bench role. He clearly was not happy about, about moving into that bench role, um, which was not surprising based off what we know about Kelly. Um, he's, he's someone who understandably really values that bench role feels like, or starting role had felt like he earned it. And uh, you know, even though I think he handled it pretty well in season, I don't think he was super happy. So his comments to Chris Haynes just kind of reinforce that um and we all know that if he does come back to the warriors next season he's almost definitely going to have to be in a bench role when clay comes back so that one plus one equals two you know right like that would lead one to believe he's not coming back there is the narrative though from his agent saying you know everyone's good we're on the same page with the warriors they want him back uh, Kelly's down to come back. Kelly, you know, their relationship's still really good, but you gotta, you gotta take everything with an a huge asterisk when you're talking about agent speak, because obviously they have a, uh, incentive to, uh, boost the stock price of, of their client and to play every angle possible. Um, I think that Kelly is the type of guy who, even though he probably understands that, that side of it objectively he is a very emotional dude and when he's sitting down on a podcast he can't hide how he actually feels yeah yep. uh, and give candid answers and if you listen to that chris Haynes podcast it was pretty clear that he's not super happy with the warriors and it's hard to imagine a world where he comes back especially since from what we're hearing right now he's they're asking for around they're gonna ask for 20 mil plus which is a lot for anyone, but much less a guy who has not proven he's a winner in this league. Um, he's had a negative plus minus every single year he's been in the league. The Warriors were notably better um, with him off the floor this season. Um, I don't think it's a huge surprise that after he got injured, he and James Wiseman got injured that they started to play a lot better. Um, it's not a huge surprise to me that even when he came back, they 
he was still coming off the bench um, in favor of Kent Bazemore, who's not maybe as talented of a player as Kelly Oubre, but I think fits the Warriors system better and makes less mistakes. So I, I'm not, I, anyone who's listened to this podcast, anyone who's read me probably knows I'm not super high on Kelly Oubre, especially his fit with the Warriors. Um, I just don't, I don't think, I think he's kind of a little bit of an empty stats guy. I think he, you look at, Oh, the 15 plus points per game and you think, Oh, he's a good NBA player. Well, there's a lot of players in the NBA who can average 15 points per game. There's a lot. They're not all winning players. They're not going to all help you win games. You know, they, they they can put numbers up, but I would much rather have more Kent Bazemore types than Kelly Oubre types because those guys uh, serve winning much more. You know, they they uh, they make sound decisions. They read the floor well. They can react in the Warriors re- reading react system. They can defend multiple positions at a high level. I think Oubre is overrated defensively. I've said that a few times. So I I think that this isn't going to happen. I think that he's not going to be brought back. I do think the Warriors are going to try to bring him back. Everything I'm hearing is the Warriors are going to try to bring him back, but solely as an asset. Right. They don't they don't see him as a as a future piece. Um, I don't see him as like the the, the guy who's going to put him over the top and be a championship contender. But given where they're at with the luxury tax and and, and what have you you might as well try to bring him back just to try to shop him and get something for him. The truth is they whiffed by not being, by not trading him at the deadline. Even if the deals, even if the offers weren't great, they should have traded him. Like whatever you could get for him, you just let him go. Because I think we're seeing right now that there was never a high chance of him coming back next season. Well, and that's why, that's why the narratives are so disparate right now is, um, Kelly Oubre sees himself not only as we're having a conversation about whether he's a starter versus a seventh or eighth man, he sees himself as a superstar. He thinks that he's one of the top 30 players in the league. Um, So that's his side of it. The agent and the warriors obviously have to talk the other side, which is what makes sense. Right. Um, The agent has to say, of course, we want to come back. We want, we want to leave every option available. Of course, we want to get into a bidding war. And the agent might also use the Warriors to get Oubre where he wants to go and to get more money than a team wants to pay. Um, and and the Warriors have to be on that side of it too. They have to be in those negotiations of saying, yeah, we don't want this guy, but we can help you go somewhere else to get something back. And that's why we're hearing such different narratives is Oubre's thought process of what's going on versus what actually will happen in the NBA there are very different. Yeah. Um, and it, I'm, I thought, I thought it was interesting that he even agreed to go on that podcast with Chris Haynes, uh, given, you know, where he's at, you know, and if he goes on, you think you'd have a really uh, distinct narrative that he was trying to, you know, get out there. And it, it, it didn't seem like he really, even if he did have a narrative that he wanted to get out there, he didn't stick to the script. Um and you know, honestly, that's what I like. I like that about Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre was one of the better quotes on the team because he let you know how he was feeling at all times. He was he wore his emotions on his sleeve. And as a journalist, as a reporter, you love that. If you're his agent, maybe you don't love that so much. Or, or if you're an NBA coach, right? Like um, this was a weird year where we didn't get to spend time in a locker room and on the road with these guys. So I don't know Kelly Oubre that well. I know him through Zoom and, and how he plays. Um, and I think his personality is 
probably pretty close to the way he plays, where for one possession, he can be an absolute savage on defense, picking you up 94 feet. But then there are eight possessions in a row where he's kind of off the cuff. Even if he went into this interview with his agent telling him, hey, here is the narrative. Here's what you're supposed to do. And he started that way. And then he goes wild for eight possessions. Um, and then he has a play where you're just like, oh, my goodness, he's completely fantastic offensively. He just out-efforted everybody to get this rebound and is more talented than people and has a reverse put-back dunk. And you're like, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. And then for 12 possessions, he's completely out of the system. It is not reading and reacting. It's not doing anything he's supposed to. Right. I, so I can only say this from an outsider's perspective, but I think his personality is probably pretty similar to the way he plays. Next question is from Pat Byer Duncan. Everyone in the blogosphere seems to have such an itchy, quote-unquote, trade Wiseman trigger finger. As a fan, I am very skeptical that he's a bust. I saw flashes. What's the internal temperature on this topic at GSW? I feel like this is directed at us because, <laughs> probably, uh, you know, we Chronicles had a, a column or two advocating for trading Wiseman. Or I, I should say Scott Osler has. We've had our other columnists, Bruce Jenkins, say the opposite, that he would not trade Wiseman. I have been a proponent of being open to trading Wiseman um, if, if, if it makes sense, um, though I'm not 100% convinced that there will be a deal out there that makes sense. Um, look, bottom line, the Warriors like Wiseman. They feel like he can and probably will become a really good player in this league. Um, but they are not married to him. They not, you know, he's not, he's not, uh, you know, on at that near that level where he's a Steph or a clay or a Draymond where he, you can put the no trade uh, label on him. They're very open to trading him because he is one of their few assets that they could put together with, you know, the, the draft picks and, and what have you for, a difference making player. And I think that they're well aware that they are, they need to be in win now mode that the window is beginning to start to close uh, with their aging core. And that, you know, the timeline just isn't great with, with Wiseman. They, they, they can't necessarily afford to wait much longer for him to develop, especially with, you know, missing the entire off season with the knee injury. So, um, you know, you've seen speculation out there recently about them being willing to pa- package someone like Wiseman and and the draft picks for someone like Pascal Siakam. And, you know, I think that if an offer like that was possible, I think that the Warriors would be very interested. I think they'd be willing to do that. And, you know, if if he ends up going somewhere else and blossoming into a perennial all-star, you know, and the Warriors have egg on their face, they don't win another championship then so be it, you know, you, you, you made the swing you needed to make. And, and that's the, that's the risk you have to take to, to, to chase greatness. You know, you, you have to, you have to roll the dice. I think being right now they're in this like limbo area where it's like, they're just kind of waiting on Wiseman knowing that it doesn't really fit what they're trying to do, but they don't really know what else to do. Like make a decision and do it and go for it and live with the results. And I I'm starting to, think it might be more likely than I initially thought that a trade happens this offseason involving Wiseman because guys are certain guys are starting to become potentially available um, who would 
warrant that type of package and makes sense. You know, Siakam being one and, you know, maybe even Shea Gilgis Alexander Alexander, uh, from Oklahoma City. These are guys that I think would make sense to part with Wiseman for. I'm actually the opposite. I I thought leading into this offseason, leading into the playoffs, that they were going to move them. Um, and I get the opposite sentiment. I know they're having every conversation. Um, Mr. Lakeup and Bob Myers have proven that if there's a name out there, if there's a star out there, they're going to go at least have the conversation. But it's a weird time for James Wiseman. Um, I always say the thing like, no, a draft pick is never more valuable than before he's been drafted. So yeah. when, he was the, when they had the number two pick, it was valuable. Then he didn't play well and got hurt. This is like his least valuable point ever. So I'm I'm kind of at the point where they're going to have every conversation possible. And if another franchise makes a bad decision, then of course they'll jump on it. But I tend to believe that they're not panicked, that they're going to have these conversations and realize that he's as invaluable as he possibly can be right now. Even if he comes back next year and is an average player, at least he's not a hurt average player, right? Like right now, when you're trying to shop him, he's a hurt average player. Um, So I think they think he's going to be a decent player, if not good. Um, There's some in the organization who think he's going to be a star. And and right now that is not the perspective around the league. So I think they'll, they'll hold on to him. They're going to shop him and seven and 14 and try to see what's out there. But I don't, I just don't think there's going to end up being a good deal. Yeah. It's very possible. Um, But the fact is that they're open to it and they are. I think that they need to be open to it um, given just where they are. We'll have more of my conversation with Rusty Simmons right after the break. This is from at GSW Reddit. Curious what your thoughts are on Mulder as a potential two-way candidate in the in the event the Warriors 15-man roster is full and they waive him. I haven't really seen it discussed. Is the expectation if waived that there's at least one team out there that would claim him? Uh, first of all, shout out to GSW Reddit. Phenomenal Twitter follow. Um, really on top of stuff. Um, great information. Uh, the guy who runs it is a little bit of a, a salary cap wizard himself and, and has really good breakdowns and, and what have you. So props to him. Um, and I think it's a good question. It's a, it's a very GSW Reddit question because it's very nuanced and he, that's what he's all about. But um, I, I like Mulder. Um, I've said that many times in the pod. I really, I, I think he's underrated. I think he's a legitimate NBA player. Um, I don't understand why some Warriors fans seem to be so down on him. I think, I mean, look, he's not necessarily a top eight rotation player on a good team, but he's a really solid guy to round out your rotation or even have, you know, as a fill-in rotation guy when needed. Um, But the way the roster is starting to come together, I think it's very possible that there's not a place for him on next season's roster. Um, because, you know, if the Warriors want to bring over someone like Justinian Jessup, you know, maybe there's not a place for 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 Mulder since they have some kind of overlapping skill sets and and Mulder's contract is non-guaranteed next season. So you could cut him pretty easily and, and not be out any money. Um, so if that happens, though, 
I honestly think that he's proven enough to get a, a guaranteed contract somewhere else. I don't think he's a two-way player at this point. I think he's shown enough uh, to be on a guaranteed deal somewhere, either as a 12th or 13th man somewhere. Uh, I think there's some teams in the league where he could be a legitimate bona fide rotation player. I look at someone like the Magic, and I'm like, if I'm them, I would love to have the floor spacing that Michael Mulder provides. So I, I would think he gets – that type of offer from someone if that if it comes to that and i i don't think he'd be available on a two-way i think he's kind of graduated past that yeah i'm not sure i hadn't seen the idea of him being on a two-way yet so it is a really good question um i think you and i like molder more than the nba likes molder um you've convinced me like i thought he was a likable guy a good locker room guy and a good shooter and you were right. He's a better defender than I thought. He's a better athlete than I thought. I think he is an NBA player. Um, the problem is, and I know this is like overreaction playoff time, but my problem during the playoffs is I watch these games and it's not legitimate NBA players. Teams that advance in the playoffs have 10 NBA players who it's not, we're not having a conversation whether they're a two-way guy or whether they're an end of the bench guy. Like they have 10 guys who, are good at basketball and can play in the NBA. That's been the problem with the Warriors for two years is they have three NBA players, and then, you know, maybe four. And then the rest are fringe guys. That's the problem. It's not that they have two great and a guy returning from injury who are NBA players. And then the rest are, what did we find? Are this guy a fringe guy? It's That's the problem. These guys, these teams that advance in the NBA playoffs, these teams that are competing for finals have 10 players. Right. And I, I honestly think that if Boulder leaves the Warriors, he'll land on a team that's not, you know, a contender. He'll, he'll probably right. land on a team that does not have 10 NBA players, um, a team that needs to uh, thrust a fringe guy like, like Mulder into a bigger role than maybe he deserves. Uh, that's why I, I mentioned the magic, um, you know, cause they're, they're such a horrible shooting team. I think if they can just get a guy who's a solid knockdown shooter, like Mulder, that they would probably play him 20, 25 minutes a night, uh, solely because he could actually hit shots. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. But look, so that brings Warriors, up the-, the bottom line with the Warriors is that you know they don't want to they they don't want to be in a position where they're depending on Mulder in any right. way. Like right. the, the whether or not they keep Mulder discussion should not be uh, a big factor in the Warriors' brain trust right now. That that that's something that you decide once the roster is pretty set. Um, you know, it's not it's not going to move the needle. You know, they need. Hopefully the Warriors, if they do bring back Mulder next season, have a good enough rotation where Mulder's not even in the conversation to get meaningful minutes. You know, hopefully he's just a fill-in guy who comes in and knocks down shots here and there every fifth game when the when when the team's healthy and when guys get injured, he can come in and you know help you out. He knows the system. You could do a lot worse with a guy in that type of role, but if he's playing meaningful minutes next season, that's not good for the Warriors. I Something's mean, got horribly wrong, right? Because they had a bad off season, so yeah. or they had some injuries. You don't you don't want that happen if you're the Warriors. Um, next question is from <clears throat> at Tom Bomb thirty five. 
If Golden State wants to keep Wiggins, what are some trade targets to go after using Wiseman, number seven, and number 14? If they sign the picks and wait 30 days to trade them, there's many options with those combined salaries, possibly SGA, um, Shea Gildress-Alexander, Levine, or Wood. Could also add more picks if needed. Um, That's a good question. That's a good question. And I have not scoured the NBA uh, enough and and the possibilities enough to give you a thorough answer and a thorough list of names at this moment. But what I will say is that um, I think that you're hitting on something that's important and interesting. Um, I think when we talk about a big trade, we always talk about Wiggins because of the big contract and what have you. But there are a lot of intriguing pieces out there that um, don't necessarily fall into that level of contract. And I think that the possibilities of pairing Wiseman with the, the, the two picks and maybe some someone like uh, like a Jordan Poole, you know, like a, a good young player, not not, you know, uh, a, a Wiggins level player, but a good young player. I think that that might be able to not necessarily get you an all star level guy, but get, get your foot in the door for someone who can be very helpful and be a difference maker for you next season. Um, and I think, um, he, you know, he not this isn't this wouldn't be a proven guy. But I think one interesting possibility out there, and I would seriously consider it if I'm the Warriors, would be trading the uh, would be trading both picks seven and fourteen, packaging it with Wiseman and or Pool uh, to move up to like number three in the draft with Cleveland, and then try to get uh, the number three pick, which hopefully you would take someone like Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga, and then also like a solid rotation piece maybe you can get like a larry nance or something like that i would be down for that if i'm the warriors i'm not sure cleveland would do that they might be, get better offers for that three pick but i do think that cleveland would be in would be open to moving off the three picks solely because they already have a very guard-centric roster in in guard garland and sexton and whoever the the best guys they could take at three would be guards and jalen green and jalen suggs so the value for that pick to other teams is going to be much higher than it is to them. So I think, you know, it would make sense for them to move. And I think the Warriors could put together a package for that as as strong, as strong of a package for that as, as anyone. So you're by doing a, a deal like that, you're uh, you're ensuring that you don't have too many young guys on your roster because you're not using both picks. You're, you're also getting rid of a, a somewhat of a project young guy and, and Wiseman, um, and then you're bringing in a, hopefully a helpful rotation player with proven experience, someone like Ala Nance or what, what have you. And then um, you're getting a potential franchise cornerstone in Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green. I know I know the Warriors are high on both of them, so I think they'd be open to either of those guys at three. Um, I think I think Jalen Suggs is a little bit more ready to play a major role as a rookie, but I think green might have a little higher ceiling. So it kind of depends on what you're looking for, but I think both would be good picks there. What was the, what was the handles name? <clears throat> Tom bomb. Tom bomb. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take Tom bomb one step further. <clears throat> um, most of the conversations we have right now, and especially out of the combine were 
the Warriors making a move for a big time player, a, a proven all-star who comes with a huge salary. So while they were shopping Wiseman in the picks, it always had to include Andrew Wiggins. Um, and almost none of the proposals that I heard were that much of an upgrade from Andrew Wiggins. So it was like, why are you giving up all these assets? Yeah, even Yakum, like, like is, is Yakum a better player than Wiggins? Yeah, a little bit probably, but is it really worth giving up Wiggins and all these other pieces right. for Siakam? Right. Well, so you know that Wiggins is a good fit for your system? So I'll take Tom's discussion a little bit further. You don't even have to wait the 30 days. What I think the Warriors are going to do is wait until the trade deadline. They're going to have all the conversations they can this offseason. <clears throat> but at the trade deadline, you know how healthy Clay Thompson is. You know better what the fits are like. Um you know so much more. You know how healthy has Wiseman come back? How has he developed? You know what the two draft picks look like. Now you can make an informed decision, and it doesn't have to be salary-based. It doesn't have to include Wiggins. You can package three young players and get someone who you think is going to develop better or faster than them or can help right away. Um, I just think they're in a situation where, while they're going to have all these conversations, uh, they might be in a more informed situation closer to the trade deadline when they actually know what the fits are like, what the health is like, what they have and what they can get back. Yeah. And that's probably not what a lot of Warriors fans want to hear, but you're, you're probably it's not. This is what nobody wants to hear. Yeah. You might be right about that. Um, the next question is from at Mark Brack five. How likely is a Kevin Love and buyout slash vet minimum signing for the Dubs? Rusty, you just wrote about this, so I want you to take the lead on this answer. The buyout is very likely. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a clip from him this year just getting so frustrated with all these young players in Cleveland where he just throws an inbound pass, just completely quits. Um, I've never seen Kevin Love act like that. I know it's a rough time, but – He's on his own in Cleveland. They're going, as you mentioned, second Garland. They have a backcourt dominant thing that they're working with. And it, it seems like there is actually a way they're going. I don't think that includes Kevin Love. I don't think Kevin Love wants to be there. Um, a buyout, to me, seems very possible. Now, the next part of that question is to sign with the Warriors. I'm sure the Warriors fans would like that. And the Warriors are in all of those conversations. But Brooklyn is probably a better option for him, right? Like Philadelphia is probably a better option for him. The Clippers are probably a better option for him. I'm not sure the Warriors are on the first part of all of those discussions anymore. Now, Draymond and Steve Kerr are going to have something to say about that during Team USA, but Kevin Durant's also his roommate. So Brooklyn might might be uh, a number one in this. Yeah, I think. Love would be a great fit on the Warriors in a lot of ways. He's a great passing big. The Warriors love passing bigs. He can knock down the three. He's a really good fit for what the Warriors are trying to do. But this is not the Warriors of of three or four years ago where you're going to get someone like Kevin Love to come to you on a a, a way below market value deal. Um, He's going to a team that is ready-made to 100% be in the mix for a title. The Warriors are not quite there yet. Uh, I don't think they're super far off, but they're not quite there yet, which is why I don't think that Love is 
going to be a warrior. Um, it, it's really that simple. Um, the next question, you know, as we talked about earlier, I, I did a ton of work over the past month on a minor league baseball series where I kind of uh, dug pretty deep into uh, a bunch of different issues facing the minor leagues. Uh, part one focused on the front office, uh, front offices of minor leagues, minor league teams, how they handled a year away from baseball and how they're kind of navigating this new world. Uh, part two focused on a, a, a lightly touted undrafted prospect for the Giants and, and how guys like him handle the harsh realities of being a, a minor league player with the, the low pay and the, the, the tough lifestyle and all these things. And then part three was basically a profile of Marco Luciano, which is, who is the Giants' number one prospect, the number seven prospect in all baseball, a 19-year-old phenom out of the Dominican Republic. But in that profile, I used it as an opportunity to kind of get into what the process is like for these young players from Latin American countries and and some of the struggles they face to even come to even sign a major league contract. A lot of these guys are farmed out at 11, 12 years old at a young age, stop going to school. And if they don't make it, can face a pretty tough reality. Um, it looks though like Marco Luciano is probably going to make it. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's uh, he's going to be the exception. He's a uh, special talent. Um, he's already already has 14 home runs in low A. He's probably going to get promoted here pretty soon to to either high A or probably high A. Uh, Eugene, and then you know should be on the fast track to a big league call up sometime in the next year or so. Um, he's just that good of a hitter. His power is incredible. Um, for his, especially for someone his size, he's gotten a lot of comparisons to Alfonso Soriano, but the que- the reason I talk at length about him is because Sam from Redwood city, this was an email question. Sam from Redwood city is Luciano, the real deal. He's putting up big numbers in low a, but do you really think he's the next for not Fernando Tatis? Um, Rusty, in addition to all your Warriors responsibilities, you also keep a good pulse on minor league baseball. You do a weekly minor league baseball roundup on the A's and Giants. And I know you actually have also written about Luciano a little bit in, in the recent weeks. What do you, what's your response to this question? Yeah, but I, I joke at my job at the Chronicle. I think they haven't found anything I'm good at. So they just have me do everything. Um, so, yeah, they've got me doing a, a numbers column and a weekly minor league baseball stuff. I'm supposed to know everything about basketball. Uh, they haven't figured out what I'm good at, so they just have me do everything. Um, I, my impression of Luciano is that nothing in baseball is for sure. Like the, the guy who drafted Derek Jeter said, if you get one of these right every 40 years, you're a superstar. Like it, It's impossible to guess who is going to be a good baseball player. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that he's going to make it from everything that I talked to the manager and the hitting coach and <clears throat> several people around him. And they all talked about beyond his sheer talent that at such a young age, he knows how to ask the questions about what adjustment he can make. And then his talent clicks in because he can make the adjustment. And that's huge. Um, the ability to accept failure in baseball is huge. He has a different kind of mindset that meshes with talent. That I think he's about as close to a sure thing as, as you can. I, I don't know if he's going to be a shortstop, 
but he's going to hit in Major League Baseball. I, I would I would almost yeah. guarantee that. That's a big question is, does he stay at short? I think the Giants would like him to stay at short. I think they they believe that he can stay at short. He is good enough uh, defensively to stay at that position. But if he does, there there's also a word where I think he could be a, a solid outfielder, um, maybe even a second or third baseman. He's got a he's got good arm strength. Um, but what what's really going to matter is his bat. Um, his power numbers are are pretty incredible. I know it's low A, but the guy's 19 years old. Had never played above short season single A until this year, and has just been absolutely crushing. I mean by far has the most home runs in all of single a low or high a, um, you know, and uh, you know, has, like you said, made a lot of really good adjustments when you have to understand when the, when a team like the giants invest $2.6 million in a 16 year old, they sign him to a $2.6 million signing bonus at 16. When they do that, they're doing a lot of homework before they do that. You know, just like the warriors would do whenever they make a big draft pick, um they talk to everyone close to him they talk to his family they talk to his friends they talk to his neighbors they talk to his teachers everything that came back about him was this dude is a baseball junkie who's just completely like the first guy at the ballpark the last guy to leave he's every cliche that you can have along those lines which is exactly what you want because you we've i know from covering the nba that all these guys are super talented. They're all crazy talented. But the guys who are the superstar guys, the perennial all-star guys, those are the guys who are the hardest workers. There aren't any lazy all-stars. Right. You don't become an all-star without being a grinder. Um, because, you know, the, I, I know some other guys in the league who are probably as talented as these all-stars who are barely getting by and, in, in, you know, cashing paychecks in the league because they just don't have the same – passion they don't have the same work ethic and um i think luciano is one of those people who has it all i think he has this i think he has the athleticism i think he has the physical tools i think he has the mental makeup and i think he has the work ethic and i think he's going to be um, a franchise player for the and i love and i love the soriano comp that you had like because i was writing it in the time um a lot of the comparisons were to Tatis, as the reader mentioned, and to Soto and to Acuna, who like are supremely talented and part of the change of baseball, like where you're expressive and passionate and joyful while you're playing. And um, I love the idea of Soriano because kind of that middle infielder turned outfielder, but he was he was ahead of it. He was enjoying and playing passionately on the Yankees where you're not allowed to have a beard, right? Yeah. You're not allowed to have long hair. And he was still, he loved the game and loved winning and fighting and showed it, um, which was not acceptable for the, he was way ahead of the game. And I think that's where, I think that's very similar to Luciano. Yeah. He's, he's compared to Tatis and these guys just because he's kind of a young phenom. Short. Right. Right. That's really, but in terms of the actual game itself, He's the most like Soriano. Yeah. I think he can have a Soriano like career. Now a lot can happen. You know, I mean, there is a major difference between low A and the majors. There's been a absolutely. lot of guys who have been absolutely dominant in low A and then not done anything in the majors, not maybe not even reach the majors. He's going to reach the majors. Um, is he a dominant player? That is still yet to be determined for sure. But uh, 
I think he, everything that we've seen so far points in the direction of yes. And that's great for the Giants because they've whiffed on a lot of international prospects. They needed this one. Um, They just from like a morale standpoint for that international department. Um, Rusty, thank you so much. I, it's, I can't believe we just spent a few minutes talking about the Giants on a Warriors off court podcast, but you know what? I'm, 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 my role is changing. I'm, I'm expanding my scope and I appreciate, I'm going to, I'm willing, I'm willing to talk about anything I write about. I've been writing about uh, minor league baseball. So, you know, I don't, I don't mind talking about it, but Rusty, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Where can our listeners and readers find your stuff? I'm old school. I hope you still subscribe to the hard copy of the newspaper with that. You get all the online content, which is amazing. Um, but you got to admit, Connor, it's way better when you see it in print. Think about your minor league series, yeah. three stories, in print, just the way it was laid out and the photos that Carlos put with it, just beautiful stuff. Um, yeah. but there's lots of great stuff online too. And you get that with it. So hopefully you subscribe and uh, follow Connor on Twitter because he retweets everything. Our thanks to Rusty Simmons for joining me on the podcast. Really enjoyed chatting with him. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 